Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. My name is Aaron, and I am one of your hosts today. There are two other hosts that are joining me, of course, Daniel Sun. Hey, it's me. And Hans. Howdy, howdy. So before we start today's episode, I just want to say, like always, we do not run any ads on this show or take any money from any corporations. So if you'd like to help us out, well, there's a few ways that you could do that. One of the ways is Patreon. For only $5 a month, which is 16 cents a day, you can sign up to our Patreon and get an extra episode each week. These Patreon episodes are exclusive to members only. Today, we released a Patreon-exclusive episode, which is over the lead mask mystery. Also, we have over 50 extra episodes, which is over 70 extra hours, already locked and loaded for your listening pleasure, such as The Mermaids, Polybius, 37th Parallel, and much more, which you get access to all of them for just 5 bucks a month. Another way to support the show is through merchandise. Just teleport on over to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com, click on the shop button, and there you can see all the merchandise we have for sale. T-shirts, hats, hoodies, mugs, all that good stuff. And I just wanted to say that the money we get from Patreon and merchandise sales goes to bettering the show. Also, we know things are tough out there right now. So if you can't afford a shirt, or a Patreon membership, but you want to help us out, then you can leave us a written review on iTunes, and that helps us out a lot. If you don't want to leave one, though, then that is fine. We just want you guys, girls, aliens, reptilians, Bigfoot, Sasquatches, Chupacabras, ghosts, Illuminati members, underground lizard people, whoever or whatever you are, to enjoy the show. Also, one last thing. If any of you would like to reach out to us, then you can shoot us a message on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Or you can go to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com, click on the contacts button, and there you will find all of our email addresses. And that is the end of the announcements. So today's episode is over missing 411. So how this episode will go today is we'll talk about what is the missing 411 and who brought it to light. And then we'll go into some cases of some missing individuals and then strange facts and findings theories, and of course, wrap it all up with our own personal thoughts and theories. So with that being said, let's get into today's episode. In North America, people of all ages have been disappearing from national parks and forests at an alarming rate. Often, the victims' families are left without any closure or explanation as to what happened to their loved ones. It's understood that people routinely get lost and some even want to disappear. But these stories are different. Many odd occurrences surround these disappearances in the national parks. However, can it all be explained by a wild animal attack? An accident? Or could it be that there is someone or something out in the national parks abducting people? Now, just like every week, before we get into those theories, 
we first have to start at the beginning of this. We have to start with the person who brought this all to light. So, Dan, do you want to start it off for us? So all these weird and strange disappearances were brought to the public's attention by an individual named David Politis. Now, a little background on David is that in 1977, he began a 20-year career in law enforcement. He spent the majority of his career at the San Jose Police Department, working in the patrol division, SWAT team, street crimes unit, and a variety of assignments in the detective division. After leaving the police force, David started writing, and he ended up self-publishing two books related to Bigfoot. He also created a research group called North American Bigfoot Search, which he serves as the director of. So shortly after self-publishing his Bigfoot books, David was at a national park just visiting it. He ended up going back to his hotel room later that evening and had a knock at his door. There standing at the front door of his hotel room was a national park ranger. This park ranger told David that he would like to speak with him, that he had some troubling information. The park ranger said that over his multiple years of involvement with numerous search and rescue operations at several different national parks across the United States, that he had detected a trend that he couldn't understand. The ranger explained that during the first 7 to 10 days of a disappearance, that he would witness a massive search and rescue operation and significant press coverage. Following this initial week-long effort, there was almost always an immediate halt to the coverage that the park rangers would be told to discontinue the search for the victims and no explanation would be given to them or other search authorities. Of course, this intrigued David, so he put his former police skills to the test and started researching. For the next six years, David dove deep into this, spending almost all his free time looking into missing person cases. What he discovered shocked him. People of all ages have been disappearing from national parks in North America at an alarming rate, all under similar circumstances. What made things even more odd is that the Park Service also refused to keep any sort of national list or database of these missing people. So all this seems strange, right? But there has to be a rational reason as to why these individuals have gone missing. These cases can't be too odd, right? Well, we'll let you be the judge of that, because we're now going to discuss some of these notable cases. So Dan, do you want to start it off for us? So the first case that we are going to talk about is a pretty popular one. When individuals talk about the missing 411 cases, this one revolves around a three-year-old boy named Jared Adadero. On October 1st, 1999, three-year-old Jared his six-year-old sister, Jocelyn, and 11 other adults were hiking in the Big South Trail near Rocky Mountain National Park in Colorado. While hiking, Jared ran ahead, no more than 100 feet. He then stopped to talk with some fishermen and continued down the trail ahead of the group. The hiking group then realized that Jared is way too far ahead of them, and some of them ran ahead to try and catch up with him. Shortly after that, the group came to the conclusion that Jared is missing, and they all started searching for him. More than 200 trained searchers, a dozen dog teams, professional trackers, a dive team, and a plane searched for Jared without finding any solid clues. 
Seven days after Jared went missing, the search for him is suspended due to lack of clues and his family is notified. So on June 5th, 2003, two hikers named Rob Osborne and Gareth Watts were hiking off-trail in the Big South Trail area. They stumbled upon a white Tarzan tennis shoe that was on a slope 500 vertical feet above the trail. They looked around some more and found the other shoe, a brown fleece jacket and blue sweatpants turned inside out. Rob and Gareth photographed the area and clothing as they found them, turned a bread bag inside out and took the fleece jacket and a shoe with them to the sheriff's office the next day when they arrived back in town. The next day, it took searchers about an hour to reach the site where the clothing was found. They searched the area and found remaining clothing scattered across a 25-foot area, as well as a top of a skull and one single molar tooth sitting on top of a log. DNA tests were done on the tooth and skull which came back to be the remains of Jared. His death certificate indicates the manner of death as undetermined, probable mountain lion attack. Now, it may seem like a cut-and-dry theory, a mountain lion attack. However, many individuals, including Jared's father, denies that is what happened. Jared's father took his son's skull, as well as the clothing of his son, to a mountain lion expert, who said that if his son would have been attacked by a mountain lion, that it would have hairs of the lion or animal on the clothing. Jared's father sent the clothing and the parts of the skull off for testing, and the results came back that they had no hairs or evidence of an animal attack. Also, to add to the mystery, mountain lion attacks are extremely rare. In North America, in the past hundred years, there have only been 27 fatal mountain lion attacks. Now, another weird thing is that the sheriff never told Jared's father that his son's pants were found inside out. He found that information out by the two hikers who initially found the clothing. They sent the pictures they initially took to prove that his pants were indeed initially found inside out. So Jared's dad asked the sheriff why he didn't tell him about that piece of information and the sheriff didn't say anything to him and just walked away. There was another odd thing that follows the findings of Jared's clothing and skull is that individuals actually started to question if the initial crew years ago had actually searched that area that his clothing was found in. And some of the searchers say that they searched the area multiple times and never saw the clothing or teeth or skull, However, some say that they never made it up to the 9,120-foot elevation at which Jared's clothes, skull, and tooth were found, which I did find it quite odd that his tooth was found sitting right on top of the log. Yeah. Along with a piece of his skull, but... Mm. Something else that everyone agrees on, too, is uh, that the area where Jared's clothing and skull and all that was found Everyone says that it was impossible for a three-year-old to hike that, that even experienced hikers have to use ropes to climb up that area of the mountain. So, it just adds to the mystery of all this, and we have many stories and cases that we're going to go over just like this one. So, y'all want to roll on to the next one before we start getting into theories as to what these could be? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So the next case we are going to talk about revolves around an individual named Thomas Messick. It was the fall of 2015, and an 82-year-old Thomas wanted to go hunting. So he called up his sons and a few friends, and they all decided to go hunt some deer on Lily Pond in an area of land that is part of the Lake George Wild Forest, near their home in New York. So that Sunday, Thomas, a group of his four elderly friends, and his two sons all arrived at the hunting area. Now, how they hunted was a little bit different. Since Thomas and his friends were quite older, they didn't want to walk a lot. So Thomas would send his two sons up on the side of a ridge while he and his four friends sat at the bottom of the ridge waiting for the boys to push the deer to them. So just a quick little side note here. Uh, when Thomas and his friends stayed at the bottom of this ridge, he spaced his friends out to be no less than 50 to 75 yards apart, stretching from south to north on the east side of the lake. So Thomas was the closest to the parked trucks that they drove there. Also, everyone in this hunting party had handheld walkie-talkies. So that's just something to keep in mind as we go forward with the story. Now, the hunting party was only out for a total of two hours. The boys walking down the ridge saw no deer. So they decided to call it quits over the walkies, and the boys started their descent back down the ridge. Everyone got back to the trucks, and they were shocked to see that Thomas wasn't back. It was shocking to them because Thomas was the closest to the truck, and in theory, he would be the first back. The party decided to split up and start looking for Thomas. They screamed his name and even fired shots in the air to see if they would get a shot back, but they never heard anything. After a few hours of searching, the party contacted the forest rangers. They arrived at the hunting camp, and they started to search the area as well. Another little side note here, something that concerned everyone about Thomas's disappearance is that he wasn't an amateur hunter. In fact, he was well known in the community for giving hunter safety courses, and he was also an airborne ranger. So for him to go missing was very odd for everyone. So the next day, search and rescue teams from four surrounding counties were dispatched to the area, as well as the Air National Guard, all searching for Thomas. These new search parties also had canine search units. As these canine units searched the area, they would pick up the scent of Thomas. But when they followed the scent, it disappeared like it had never existed. So on November 25th, Ten days after Thomas went missing, the search was called off, and Thomas was never found. And in an interview with one of the individuals involved with the search of Thomas, they said that that area that Thomas went missing from had no traces of wildlife, that there had not been any animals there for a long time. And that is our second case. Wait, so where they went hunting, there was like no animals at all anyways? Nope. None. Who the hell picked that area? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like reading it and then like listening to the documentary on it, it's like depressing. Yeah. They're like, yeah, he would have never wandered off. If he was meant to sit there, that's what he would do. If he was meant to be up on the ridge, then he'd be up on the ridge. He wasn't going to get up and walk around. Yeah, and some people might say, oh, well, you have an 82-year-old guy, right, going missing. Oh, you have a three-year-old boy going missing. Some people say, oh, well, you got really old or really young. Well, that's not the case for our next individual, is it? It's not. Our next case revolves around an individual named Kevin Robert O'Keefe. 
It was late 1985, and 36-year-old Kevin had left his Sacramento home to go to Glacier Bay National Park in Alaska for a camping trip. On September 20th, Kevin traveled to the Glacier Park headquarters where he took a class about living in the wilderness of the surrounding area. After he had finished the class, he decided to fly out to the Mia Inlet, which was north of what they call Wolf Point. This is where he had decided to make camp. Fast forward 15 days later, two National Park Rangers were patrolling the region of Wolf Point by boat. They decided to stop by where Kevin had made camp to check on him. The park rangers noticed that Kevin's tent was near the high tide line and that there was a line of debris that was brought in by the high tide. The rangers also noticed how odd the condition of Kevin's campsite was, how one pole inside this tent had come down and that they found his sleeping bag, foam pad, and green backpack laying beside the sleeping bag inside. The rangers looked around the campsite and couldn't find Kevin, so they tried calling out for him but received no answer. The rangers then walked in a 100-yard radius around the campsite looking for any sign of Kevin. About 20 yards to the north of the campsite, they found two sacks at the base of some trees, and they believed this to be Kevin's food cache. So the rangers did know that Kevin's pickup date was October 10th, which was only two days away. So they figured that they would leave his campsite alone till the pickup date. Now... After not being able to sleep well and wondering where Kevin was, the park rangers decided to go back the next day to make sure everything was okay. As they arrived, they noticed that the camp had been undisturbed since yesterday. No one had used the camp during the night and there was no sign of Kevin still. They knew he would be taking short hiking trips, but no overnight trips away from his camp. The following day, October 10th, which was Kevin's original pickup date, the rangers returned with more help which included a Cessna 206 on floats, which is an airplane, for all you that don't know what a Cessna is. The plane flew around the area for about two hours trying to locate Kevin, but they were unsuccessful. The rangers then decided to move away from the camp to not contaminate the area with their scent and wait for the tracking dogs to arrive. A couple hours later, the dogs arrived by helicopter, they were able to locate some more belongings of Kevin's 40 yards further away from camp. And there was also another food cache, but this one had daily essentials in it as well, like a toothbrush, toothpaste, soap, sunblock, and chapstick. Then again, about several hundred yards away, they found his boots, along with his brown wool knit hat. And just a little bit further away, they had found a green knit glove liner. The search for Kevin lasted four days until October 14th, after one last flyover the area yielded no results of Kevin. It was then officially called off. Kevin Robert O'Keefe, age 36, is still missing since October 8th, 1985, from the Glacier Bay National Park. You know what's weird is that the case of the three-year-old kid and him, both of them having their clothes removed. Mm-hmm. Didn't in the, um, what was the weird episode that we did about the Russians who climbed the mountain? Dyatlov Pass? Yeah, Dyatlov Pass. Didn't they remove their clothes? One of them did. One of them removed his clothes. So, interesting fact that I, that I read up on is about hypothermia. Like, one of the final stages of hypothermia, you actually feel really, really, really hot. So they think, that like some of these people that do take their clothes off are going through hypothermia because 
like this guy. He's in Alaska. Without your boots and gloves, and you're going to freeze, especially in Alaska. True. Yeah. In October, too, dude. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Makes sense, I guess. All right, so let's go on to our next case, which revolves around an individual named Audrey Kaplan. So on July 30th, 2014, 75-year-old Audrey and her husband Norman decided to go hiking in the Santa Fe National Forest. That morning, Audrey and Norman parked in the Santa Fe Ski Basin parking lot and started hiking the Windsor Trail. Around 10.30 a.m., Audrey separated from her husband and went off the trail to search for mushrooms. After almost two hours of being separated, Norman started to worry and decided to hike to where he could get a cell phone signal so he could call for help. A search crew arrived and they combed through the mountain range for several days trying to find her. However, no trace of her was found. On August 4th, a searcher who wasn't in the primary search zone saw a naked woman lying in the fetal position face down in a creek that was located in a densely wooded area. The searcher then called for help, and search and rescue teams came, located the woman, and said that she was dead, and that they identified her as being Audrey. They also stated that her clothing and other belongings were nearby. The autopsy report could not find a reasonable thing that killed her. So you know what the coroner listed it as? Hypothermia. The coroner also listed on the death certificate that she was found with her head out of the water. Yet the crime scene pictures showed Audrey's face in the water as she was found. Also, the report stated that Audrey's arms and hands were only in the water when they found her. And the final report states that she got lost while hiking, became dehydrated, and died of hypothermia. That there was no injuries that caused or contributed to death. I find it strange that she died of hypothermia in end of July. In New Mexico. Yeah. I mean, I get it. Nights are cold up in the mountains. But she got lost at 10.30 in the morning. My thing is, maybe she came across some wild mushrooms, ingested them, had a little trip. We'll save theorizing for later. I mean, okay. it's possible, though. All right. So let's continue on to our last case before we get into strange facts and findings. Now, our next disappearance revolves around an individual named Eliza Darnell. Eliza was a 25-year-old school teacher who ended up developing a condition that prevented her from doing that job. So she started to work for her father at the family store that was located in Keokee, Virginia, which was about 90 miles southeast of the Great Smoky Mountain National Park. On February 20th, 1939, Eliza had just finished her shift at her family store and decided to head home before the rest of her family. Her father, Mr. Darnell, closed up the store shortly after Eliza left and headed home. When he arrived home, he saw Eliza's car there in the driveway, but there was no sign of her anywhere. So the family started searching around their property and the surrounding area for her. After a while, they decided to call the local sheriff to report her missing. The sheriff decided to come over and search her car for any clues as to where she could be. He ended up finding $10 and Eliza's watch located in the trunk of her car. This made certain that whatever happened to Eliza, it happened as soon as she arrived home. She had not gone inside, didn't change clothes, so she would still be dressed in her work clothes from that day. Now, side note, an article that was printed on February 27th edition of the B. Danville paper saying, the girl's father, R.H. Darnell, 
well-to-do merchant and landowner, expressed fear his daughter was kidnapped. The following day, the sheriff gathered up 250 searchers and had them comb the hills looking for clues of Eliza's whereabouts. About this time of year in that area, the weather was pretty harsh and cold, so the searchers had a difficult time and ended up finding nothing. Soon after that search ended, the B. Danville printed an article which had a statement slash opinion of what the sheriff thought had happened. The article said, and I quote, The sheriff said he studied numerous angles in the case and had reduced the possibilities either that the young schoolteacher had been slain and her body stored away in some unfrequented spot or that she had been kidnapped. Now, the sheriff did end up go to the FBI for help, which led to another article being printed by the B. Danville, which said, W.S. Deverall, FBI agent, arrived yesterday to study the case at the request of Eliza's brother, R.H. Darnell Jr. Devereaux yesterday mapped roads, telephone lines, and other details of the Keokee community. He told Darnell the FBI would enter the case officially seven days after the disappearance, provided local authorities failed to find the girl and her parents contended it was kidnapping. Following that, Two weeks passed with just the sheriff working on the case and searching for Eliza's whereabouts. However, not a single clue was found. The FBI, even though they stated that they would help, they never chimed in. Seven months later, on September 3rd, 1939, a rabbit hunter named McKinley Clark was hunting near the top of Black Mountain. McKinley walked around a large boulder and stumbled onto a body. He ended up notifying the police. The following day, on September 4th, an article was published by the Middleborough Daily News that talked about the identification of the body that was located on Black Mountain. The article said the following. The girl's father accompanied the officers to the place and identified the remains as those of his daughter by some dental work. Now, there was something that baffled everyone. That was the location of where the body of Eliza was found. The location of her body, if traveling by air, was just three miles away. However, traveling by foot, you had to travel over two large mountain ranges and some dangerous areas just to get to that place. So that was the last case we're going to discuss. And I want you all just to keep in mind that there are thousands of these odd cases of individuals all going missing in national parks are being found dead in mysterious conditions. And of course, we can't cover them all, so we just picked out a few to cover that we thought were noteworthy. And you can go and you can look these up, missing 411 cases, and just keep reading and reading and reading, and they're all almost just like this. Um, but now we're going to hop into some strange facts and findings. So the first strange fact and finding that we're going to discuss is missing people statistics. Now, since we don't have actual statistics of individuals who go missing in national parks, since they don't keep track of that, we do have statistics of individuals who go missing in general, which we're going to cover right now. In 1997, the United States had 980,712 people reported missing. That is 2,687 people reported missing every day, or 112 people reported missing every hour, or two people going missing every minute. 
In 2018, the number of people going missing in the United States was at the lowest since 1990 at 612,846 cases, which is still 1,679 people going missing every day or 70 people reported missing every hour in the United States. Now, those statistics are according to the NCIC, which is the National Crime Information Center. Why do we mention that? Well, not only do they report numbers, but they also break them down into multiple different categories, one of them being by age, which consists of two categories, under the age of 21 missing and those over the age of 21 missing. Now, in those two categories, in 2018, the number of missing persons under the age of 21 was much higher than those of 21 and over. To be exact, 451,753 people under the age of 21 went missing, and only 160,982 over the age of 21 went missing. So, to break it down even further, almost 75% of the people reported missing in 2018 were under the age of 21. As disturbing as that is, statistics on missing children in the United States are a very, very small percentage to how many children go missing each year in the entire world. And get this, an estimated 8 million children go missing each year worldwide. Now, even with that number being so high, it still doesn't factor in Africa, Asia, and Latin America, who don't count missing children. In fact, in many of those places, there are no specific laws for missing children. They don't have an established protocol or even a central missing child registry. Now, there is an International Center for Missing and Exploited Children that created the Global Missing Children's Network in 1998. This global network is a multilingual database that features photographs and information about missing children from around the world. And that is our first strange fact and finding. The statistics of missing children are missing individuals, not only in the United States, but around the world, that not many people know about. Yeah, bringing up awareness. Oh, yeah. So who wants to cover this next strange fact and finding? I've got you. Okay. Well, this next strange fact and finding is over the NPS record keeping. David called up and asked for a list of missing person records for the national parks. Well, he got a call back from the head of the Freedom of Information Department out of Denver, and they said that they didn't keep any list. He asked them how much it would cost to put together a list like that. They said it would cost $34,000 for a list of missing people just from Yosemite because they would have to pay staff to put one together. Since David was a published author, he tried to use his author's exemption, which waives the fees. That didn't work. He got a call from the NPS attorney who said his books weren't in enough libraries. So David asked how much it would cost for all 383 national parks to make a list of missing persons. And y'all want to take a guess what the attorney said? A couple hundred thousand? <laughs> Wrong. $1.4 million. You think they would already have a list like that? You think? And oh my God, that got me stuttering. $1.4 million to make a list of missing persons 
that they should already have a list of. Yeah. Why would it cost them extra money? That's part of their damn job. I don't know. It's just a strange fact and finding. Just another one. All right. So, Dan, what's this next strange fact and finding? This next one is NPS denying help from Coast Guard. And who's NPS again? National Parks Services. Okay. Now, David Politis talked to a father of a missing person, and the father said this to David. Mr. Politis, the National Park Service has refused to give me a copy of the report on my son when he was missing. They refused to bring in scent tracking dogs to look for my son. They only brought in cadaver dogs. My other son is an officer in the Coast Guard and got special permission from his commander in Washington to send in a Coast Guard helo with infrared cameras to look for my son. And the National Park Service told the Coast Guard that they wouldn't allow them to end a search. Why would they do that? A helicopter that is made for search and rescue being denied to help in search of a missing person. Why? Hmm. Well, the Coast Guard, they don't exist on every lake. They only exist on lakes that share two states. Fun fact, I would know this because my brother is in the Coast Guard and has it easy freaking made. Same. Hmm. Yeah, so like, if there's a lake just in the state, there's not going to be a Coast Guard unit. But if it basically flows into another state, or a river that flows into multiple states, like the Mississippi, the Coast Guard is there. Also, they're not part of the Department of Defense. They're part of Homeland Security. wonder if that's why, then. I don't know. But that is weird that they wouldn't let them bring those in, or even bring in some scent-tracking dogs. Yeah, I'd be like, shoot, do you want to come help? Bring it in. Yeah. Well, I guess that kind of takes us into theories now as to what this could all be where these people are going, what's happening to them. So, of course, we're going to start off these theories off in left field. Now, I want you to hang with me here because we do have some grounded theories, but we do like to hypothesize around here. So the first theory that we're going to talk about is alien abductions. Some of these cases go along with what seems like that they've been abducted, like how they just randomly vanish and all of a sudden appear back with no recollection of anything that happened to them, or about how the boy goes missing, and then years later clothes and parts of the kid are found in an area that was already searched. Things like that. So yeah, it could be alien abductions. I know, Dan, you mentioned something about some other cases where people describe something of like being abducted by aliens. Yeah, some other cases that, you know, that we didn't put in this one, some people did describe similar things happening to them that would be close, re- closely related to extraterrestrial, like, you know, seeing certain things, being like in certain ships, some stuff like that, but not many. All right. Well, eh. got to reach for, the, for that. It'd be questionable if it was along the 37th parallel, right? Yeah. Yeah, it would be. But there is something weird happening to these people, and there is happening in clusters at national parks. Where they're going, we don't know. But the next theory could explain it, right, Dan? So David Politis was definitely an avid Bigfoot researcher. That's how he stumbled upon these disappearances at first, it seems. I'm not sure if he thinks Bigfoot is the culprit of this, since a lot of the disappearances don't seem to connect with any animal-like or hairy humanoid-like beings taking people. But of course, Bigfoot, Sasquatches are spotted a lot of times in national parks. So a lot of people assume 
that it's possible that Bigfoot is the cause of these disappearances. I like how you got in all caps. Wrong, motherfucker. Bigfoot's innocent. You leave my man Bigfoot alone. He, did, he does not harm people. Man, uh, it's definitely not Bigfoot. I don't think it's Bigfoot. No, I don't think it's Bigfoot. There's no hair found. There's no, like you said, no hair or anything like that being found. Um, now, David did say in an interview that he won't speculate as to what he thinks it is. Because he said if he speculates on anything, that the news headlines would run wild with it. And it would make the families of those who have someone missing feel like, oh, this guy's a whack job. Oh, it's like making fun of him now. Yeah. Oh, okay. He feels like the news agencies would make fun of him. So he's not going to speculate at all. So that was something interesting I found. That's pretty respectful. It is. Yeah. So um, what's this next theory, uh, Hans? I read this theory on a Reddit post a very long time ago or whenever the 411 documentary came out. And it revolves around cave aliens or a known species that live in caves. So, you know, we have a map of cave systems across the U.S. And we'll link it. And y'all see that? All those nice little caves? Lots of them. Yep. Well, now here's a map of the missing 411. What do you guys see in common with these caves, cave systems, and the missing 411? They're all in clusters of the people going missing. Yeah, by the caves. By the caves. By these cave systems, especially in the Appalachian Mountains and along the, uh, along like the Montana, Idaho, you know, New Mexico area. Seems like. I guess the caves would be where all the mountain mountainous areas are. Yeah, but you see, nothing happens in Texas. Yeah, the whole central U.S. is like empty for missing persons, even though there are some caves in like Texas and stuff. Yeah, you know, basically, it, it kind of paints a creepy picture. And many believe that, you know, that there's a connection between these disappearances and cave systems, ranging from underground lizard people to maybe an undiscovered species of animal that we haven't found yet. Isn't the movie Descent about those humanoid things that live in caves and stuff? That's a scary-ass movie. Descent? Yeah. I'd believe this. Ain't gonna lie. Yeah. Hell yeah. That's scary. I'm never going in near any of these caves. You know what? Now hear me out on this theory. Here we go. What if it's the government doing the kidnapping, right? So how we said in past episodes how the government has these underground bunkers or these underground facilities. What if it's the government kidnapping these individuals from state parks or national forests to use them for human experimentation or something? I mean, it could explain, like, for example, in the Elijah Darnell's case, how the FBI said they would get involved, but they never did anything. Maybe. Kind of out there. I like the uh, cave dweller theory more, though. An unidentified cave dweller. Who made that map of the missing 411? Is like, was that uh, David that did that? or I think David did do that. Props to him. So this next theory we're going to talk about is a pretty interesting one that we stumbled upon. The theory is that these people that go missing somehow got sucked in by a vortex that took them to a parallel universe. And some made it back and some didn't. It's often said that sometimes our universes end up mixed into a parallel universe and that it seems to open a vortex somewhere in these national park areas. 
something about the force that seemed to open portals up, possibly the amount of greenery or untouched spiritual energy that is around in those protected areas. Um, on a Reddit post, a girl stated that her grandmother warned her about the spacing of trees. She loved the trees, but they had to at least be 10 yards apart and away from her home. Then she stated that roaming at night was a dumb idea, especially during the quote-unquote blue hour, an hour of twilight when the setting sun casts everything in a slightly bluish light. Maybe something about the blue hour has a part in opening a portal during that time. Maybe the trees, the forest, like we stated, has spiritual energy that helps open up these portals. And the National Park is where they appear, and that's where people just kind of fall into. Don't know. That's a theory for you to kind of sit back and think about. Yeah. I've never heard of it called the Blue Hour, which is pretty interesting. Neither have I. All right. So what's this next theory we have? All right. So this one I found on Reddit, and it's a very, very long post. But it's an interesting read. I'm only going to briefly go into it. We'll provide a link at the very end of it. So if you do want to go read up more on it, you can. But have y'all heard of the fae or fairies for what we usually hear it as? Yeah, I've, I've heard of fairies. You know, like Tinkerbell. Yeah. Well, from what I've been searching up, especially for the four, missing 411, the fae are not these innocent little winged creatures that, you know, we grew up learning about. Definitely not no Tinkerbell. These beings have very human-like qualities and can range from four inches to seven feet tall. Jesus Christ! That's tall. That's a tall fairy. Yeah. The fae are extremely powerful, self-centered, and spiteful beings. They don't like the way humans treat the environment. The one post that posted believes that 80% of the cases involving missing persons in the national parks are caused by the fae. Their post is extremely detailed, like I was saying, and it's honestly definitely worth a read. Some people that go camping or hiking say they always bring some type of offering to give to them because a simple thank you is not sufficient. They want to make you feel like you owe them something and a thank you is a slap in the face to them and would make them angry. Which makes me think that some of the people that have gone missing mess with the environment while camping, you know, like cutting down like branches, making a fire in the woods and, you know, doing so may have accidentally stumbled upon a fae without noticing because supposedly... You cannot see them with, you know, just the naked eye. You have to be spiritually aware by opening up your third eye, and then you're actually able to see and communicate with the Fae. Of course. Yeah. Well, that's a very interesting theory. This person goes into it so deep, connecting certain cases and stuff to it. It's a very good read. I'll have to read it. Sounds very interesting. Oh, yeah. So I guess that hops into our personal thoughts and theories. And I do have a personal theory about this that I can't believe that neither of you have mentioned. And that is a murderer. What if there's like some serial killers that hunt people in the woods as like game? So dark web shit. Yeah. That they go to these national parks and hunt people. I honestly didn't think of that. I mean, I thought about murders. But never thought of it as like a hunting game. Yeah. You think about it. If they did target people that go out hiking and stuff, they're vulnerable. Far from any civilization. Nobody's there to help them. You can pick out pretty much whoever you want. And people are just going to think that they just gone missing or attacked by an animal. What if 
all these are just people going missing and David just found it as a way to make money off of a book. And that'd be messed up. Well, the only reason I say that is because in 1996, he didn't leave the police force voluntarily. He was charged with a misdemeanor count of falsely soliciting for charity. So he was using the city stationery on department's computer printers to solicit famous people for autographs saying it was for charity. So he would write like Lionel Richie and stuff and say, hey, can I get an autograph so I can use this for a charity? But they weren't having a charity and he was keeping the stuff himself. And that's why he was let go. Did not know that. I just thought I'd had to bring it up because if I didn't, I know somebody else would. Does it discredit some of this? I don't think so because it is weird. There's too many coincidences when it comes to these missing 411 cases, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I read another site where they were actually discrediting him, saying that he just nitpicked through all the like missing persons and all that, considering he just looked at like national parks and stuff. Well, that's what it's all about, national parks. Yeah, and I'm just like, that's what he's mostly talking about, is how people are missing in national parks. But they go on and, like, trying to discredit them. And, you know, so there are people out there that don't believe it, and that's fine. I mean, but you still got to think, though, this is, there's a lot of people going missing in these national parks. Oh, yeah. And the fact that they don't keep a list, or at least, like, files on it, you know, even the families that do want to get like the reports on a missing family member or something like that, they have to fight the, the National Park Services just to try to get those. And they some of them still don't even get, like get the files. Do you think the National Parks are aware of the so many people going missing? So they just figured, hey, we don't need to release this because this is bad publicity and nobody will want to go to National Parks anymore. I believe that. Whatever it is, it's strange. Whatever's happening. And I honestly can't say, hey, this is definitely it. You know, all I can say for sure is that there's a lot of weird coincidences going on with people missing from national parks. And I can't stick to just one thing as to what it could be. Could either of you? No, because some of these theories do sound good. Not sound good, but make sense. Yeah. Well, it was a good episode today, and I hope that Whoever listens to this doesn't go out in national parks and go hiking, at least alone. And if you do, put a GPS tracker on yourself or let someone know. Anyways, uh, do y'all have anything else you want to add to today's episode before we go into the on the scene? Nope. No, sir. All right. Well, that's the end of today's episode. Uh, So now we're going to move on to on the scene. So if you're unfamiliar with on the scene, it is where an individual... uh, listener or anyone can go out on the street and interview random people and get their opinion on current happenings in conspiracies and around the world. And you, yes, you can go interview somebody, make sure it's less than two minutes long and uh, submit that recording to our emails at Aaron or Dan or Hans at theories of the third And uh, you will be featured uh, on our On the Scene. So this week, our On the Scene is from April. So we're going to play that right now. 
Howdy everyone, it's April again and I am on the scene with Gunner. I am going to revisit a question that I cut him off with the last time that I interviewed him. I know he had an overwhelming response as to why I cut him off and they wanted it, you know, people wanted to know his answers. So here we are again. Gunner, tell me, do you believe in Bigfoot? Yes, I believe in Bigfoot because nobody's ever proven that he's real or not real. I think that's good. The fact, solely the fact that nobody's proven he isn't real is reason enough for me. Now I got another question for you. I don't know if you know this or not, but the government has recognized that there are such things as UFOs or, you know, now they're called unidentified aerial phenomenon. I think UAPs, um, how do you feel about that? That they have finally acknowledged that there, there is something out there. They don't know what it is, but that there's something. How do I feel? Um, I don't know. I feel like that they came from, uh, they didn't come from this earth. They came from a different earth or different earths or another galaxy. But how do you feel about the government finally, finally acknowledging oh. that they exist? They should have acknowledged it like a long time ago. They should have. I. How do you feel about all these government cover-ups? Do you think that eventually that they're going to come to light? Yeah. In our lifetime, like when I'm alive and you're alive, or maybe when we're dead and gone. Um, dead and gone, probably. It's gonna be sad because I want to. <laughs> I kind of want to see. I want to hear it and see it for myself. Yeah. But I thank you for sitting down with me so we could finally get the answer to that question because I know a lot of people wanted to know whether or not you believed in Bigfoot. And guys, I hope he satisfied your um, thirst for knowledge with his answer. And I wanted to say thank you for being on the scene with me. And just remember, just like uh, Hans and Aaron and Danielson say, it's okay to be out of this world with your thoughts because you are definitely not alone. Bye, guys. Nice. I like that. Nice. Hell yeah. Overwhelming response. Yes, I demanded Bigfoot. Question. (laughs) We appreciate your on the scene, April and Gunner. Thank you so much for that. Yes, thank you very much for that. Very informative. It was. I um I personally hope that they release uh, information about UFOs. But um seriously though, do y'all think they're going to release that in our lifetime? No. Nope. Damn. Dude, they All right. they released just enough to get the people's attention off of something else. All it is is just a big hype up for the Space Jam 2 movie that's coming out with LeBron James. That's all it is. You think I'm playing? You think I'm playing? All it is is a hype up for the Space Jam 2 movie. Look it up. I'm not watching that movie. Neither am I. I like the original Space Jam. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, April. Thank you for your on the scene. We love you. Keep sending them our way. That's right. All right. Now we move on to shout outs this week. Uh, so I'll start off with Instagram shout outs. I want to shout out uh, Avery, Jamie Lee Passa. Bianca Virgil, Virgil, Bianca Bianca V, uh, Emily P, Brandon, Miguel, Jason V, Victoria R, Juan Tinacono, Kitty, Tyler B, Jamie, L. Ricky, Brian Ferry, Preston Cunningham, 
Angel Quintero, uh, Miss A Official, Seth R, Ryan Cooley, uh, Jace Williams, Juan, Patrick, Sean, Lee Parr, James Rose, Stephanie Nallen Cruel, Joey C, Rudy Vasquez, um, a person's name who is I literally can tie a knot. Uh, Kevin Cardenas Yanez, um, and hold on, let me look at emails real quick. And Joey Galagos, Tiffany Dial, Joe Crow, and Floyd Farber. That is all the shout outs I have this week. What about you, Dan? What is your Facebook shout outs this week? Man, I thought you were going to say Floyd Mayweather. All right. So, my shout outs for this week for Facebook. Gonna start off with Cody Stenquist. He says, Hey guys, love your show. I ran into it from a co worker and have been totally against podcasts and talk shows prior. Glad you love the show, man. He asked about getting into our Discord. Cody, that is a Patreon exclusive bonus. Sign up for Patreon, you get the Discord link. Yep. Then uh, Michael Carlin, you guys are amazing. I've been listening to y'all for a year now. Keep up the amazing work. Thank you for keep listening to us. Then Joshua T, Chris W, he said, hey, Dan, Aaron, and Hans. I was wondering if I could get a birthday shout out for the next podcast. Love the show. It's freaking awesome. Keep up the great work. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Chris. Happy birthday, Mr. Chris. Happy birthday. I love you. I love you so much. Nice. Mm-hmm. Nice. Then Heather L. Love hearing you guys. New listener. And then she had a suggestion for a topic. Then Pete B. Love the show. Been listening about two weeks now. And then uh, next one, Jerry S. He sent a message. You guys are amazing. Just got to find your podcast today. And while at work, went through a bunch of episodes that kept me motivated to work and on my toes. Thank you for that, Jerry. Thank you, Jerry. Love you. Then uh, Cody and Becca. Shout out to you, too. Sky Pool, shout out to you. She thinks of us as brothers, so we're brothers. Oh, oh, but we are blood brothers. Mm-hmm. Blood and blood out. Then uh, I got a shout out for Brandon Cooper from Discord. Happy belated birthday to you, and special shout out to his fiance Ambrosia and his little sister Asia. Happy belated birthday, Brandon. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. And that is all I got for Facebook and Discord currently. All right, Hans, what do you have for shout-outs this week? Um, I'm going to shout-out this uh, guy off my email, uh, Ryan G. He said, Hans, your interviews are awesome. You do some awesome research. And I'm wondering if you all have ever used the deprivation tank. You guys should give it a try. Well, Aaron did. Oh, yeah, yeah, you did. I did. So I, I seriously did try one out when I was in Austin, though. And um, it was a very odd experience. So I can say, do not touch your freaking eyes while you were in there. Because it is salt water and it hurts bad. You have to take a shower before you get in. And then you get in, of course, butt naked. And I got these earplugs in. I lay down and I accidentally touch my eye. and my eyes burn and I get up out of the deprivation tank, open it up and I'm naked. The room's all dark, right? 
fumbling my way around, my eyes burning. I found a towel, wiped my face off, spray some uh, fresh water on it, wipe it off again, lay back in the tank. And it's so weird. The sensation is extremely weird because you're floating without any... No chair or support. No chair, no support. And you aren't having to actively make yourself float. Like when you're floating on your back, you just float. It's so odd. So I, I got used to it. It took me a little bit, but I got used to it. And um, I ended up really going into a deep meditation while doing it, just kind of relaxing and concentrating on my breathing. And then all of a sudden, I just started hallucinating. I started seeing clouds fly past me, and it freaked me out so bad that I grabbed the side of the tank and, like, opened up my eyes. I was like, <gasps> you know, and then I went back and laid back down and uh, just kind of focused on my breathing. But it takes your senses away. It takes your sight right? You're feeling like you're back. You feel like you're back in the embryo, right? Just floating around. It's so odd. Uh, but would I do it again? Absolutely. It, it was, it was uh, very relaxing and I suggest everyone to try it if they can. Do you think you astro, like we're astro projecting when you saw the clouds flying by? I have no idea what I was doing besides just hallucinating or something seeing clouds just vividly clouds flying past me as if i was superman flying through the sky and it freaked me out because i was not expecting it dang yeah all right so we're gonna hop over to discord um good old shout out to all day air day bro you know glad that you joined um tentacle brain glad that you're on here as well luke pete nasty the thin glizzy and uh you know just everybody on there it's just such a great community and i like that that's one thing that everybody loves about the discord they 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 have been having movie night i've been joining in on some of those oh yeah and oh, i can't forget lissa davis 87 wanted a shout out as well shout out to you nice nice all right. Yeah, their movie nights have been pretty awesome. I wish I could jump in them more, but I'm just busy, you know, but I jump in when I can. Yeah. So. All right. Well, um, y'all have anything else you want to add to today's episode before we roll it out? No, I'm good. Well, I want to thank you all for joining us today. And again, thank you for your support. You are all amazing. Every single one of you. So with that being said, Dan and Hans, you want to roll us out? Sure will. It's OK to be out of this world with your thoughts. Because you're not alone.